Your brain needs support, and new Ollie Brainy Chews are a delightful way to take care of your cognitive health. Made with scientifically backed ingredients like Thai ginger, L theanine, and caffeine, Brainy Chews support healthy brain function and help you find your focus, stay chill, or get energized. Be kind to your mind and get these nootropic chews at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. This is iFanboy Pick of the Week, number 793, brought to you by Mac Weldon. For 20% off your first order, visit macweldon.com slash iFanboy and enter the promo code iFanboy. And of course, it's brought to you by iFanboy listeners just like you who are part of the solution and not the problem, and we need solutions. Fanboy Pick of the Week, episode 793. It's like one of those things where, uh, like, I can't believe it's already August. Mm-hmm. And, which is just banal conversation that we've all taken part of. <laughs> but now? Like, everybody's always surprised at the date. Everybody is always surprised at how big the small ice cream cone is. That is the thing that drives me crazy. Look how big that is. You say it every time. They make big ice cream cones. People have joy in their hearts, Josh. I can't believe... Well, that you know what? In New England, they make big ice cream cones. If you go to, like, sure. San Francisco, it's a tiny little ice cream cone, and it's $9. <laughs> There's different health but, priorities in different parts of the country. I, I can't be- – well, they have basil and, like, salmon in there. It's weird. Yeah, mac and cheese. Episode, 700, <laughs> episode 793 is a very high number. We're inching ever closer to a new first number, and you know what that means. So hold on to your butts. Yeah. I'm Josh Flanagan. I'm here with Connor Kilpatrick. Good morning. I realize it's not morning wherever anyone's listening, but it's morning for us. Morning well, for me. We could, well, you know what? We through the episode, we should change the time. So, That's like, true. in the beginning, it's good morning. If we come back from the ad break, we'll be like, good afternoon. And then, and then at the end of the show, we'll be like, good night, everyone. <laughs> I think that covers it. Mm-hmm. So everybody will have one experience in the show of us being correct. Correct. And then one of us being completely wrong. Yeah. And so it's it, we've equally spread that out. That's liberalism at its finest, people. Every, <laughs> we're at Fanboy, and every week we read our stack of comics, and one of us picks the one that they like the best and call that the pick of the week. We will talk about that book. We talk about other books. We will talk about the patron pick. We will listener, we will listener some mail. <laughs> we'll do some, some listener mail that we are listening to. If we have time for that, we will have fun. <laughs> command we will have fun if you do not have fun we will be very upset with you offended germans let me check that off must be over that oh they're doing the voice again no we can't help it scheiße we (laughs) it's just spoiler warning exercise some caution this week connor you have the pick i did and the pick was rorschach 11 from tom king jorge fornes Dave Stewart, Clayton Cowles. And then, honestly, one of the benefits of this book is that I can spell Rorschach now without double-checking it, which I didn't <laughs> used to be able to do before this book came out. This is 11 of 12. You know, we, we, I think we forget that Tom King has three miniseries going right now. I think I forget Batman Catwoman exists, but it's coming out next week. And this might be the best one. And Supergirl. And Supergirl. Four miniseries coming out. You're right. I, see, I forget. That one exists. I think this might be the best one. It hasn't finished yet, but this is playing out for me the most successfully. And issue 11 as this is a big mystery, is the issue in which all of the pieces start to come together for Mark Ruffalo Columbo. <laughs> it's very breakneck in the way that we've unfolded the story. In issue 10, he was meeting with the campaign person for Turley. Turley is the man running for president against Robert Redford, the tyrant. And Turley is the man that the Rorschach and the girl tried to kill in the first issue, the assassination, this entire mystery as to who these people were and why they were trying to kill Turley has been the central core of this mystery. And so in the last issue, he had a briefing with the guy and very pointedly got his prints off a beer bottle at the end. And here, everything is sort of coming together, while also we're finding that this case has seeped into the brain of Mark Ruffalo Colombo, and he is going, he's going mad sometimes, like this time right now. I just thought this was a terrific... Use of structure, back and forth structure, surrealism, characters talking to each other who are dead, talking to the main guy, 
uh, revealing their secrets while the main guy slowly goes insane and fulfills the promise of the cover. And then I just love the conversation at the end with the, with the Lothario in the, in the elevator who just loves coming to L.A. because the girls, man. <laughs> I just thought this was terrific. Jorge Fornes continues to be a revelation ever since he popped up originally with Batman on Tom King's work. And his storytelling is just impeccable. And this was just weird and strange and awesome enough to blow everything else out of the water. And we're starting to find out the truth here, which is, you know, not mind-blowing, but that basically Turley engineered his own assassination attempt. He, they thought, him and his people thought, or if he was involved, and I'm sure he is, but his people thought that the attempt would be so wildly unsuccessful because it would be such a difficult shot that they would gain the... Uh, political sympathy to win without any danger being put towards him. But then when they went to visit the assassins and they found out, oh shit, they can make this shot no problem. We got a problem here and that's when everything goes to hell. Mm -hmm. It's not a huge surprise or revelation, but it was fun to have all the pieces start to get laid out and how this detective mind works because his, it's, this is all of his mind. It's all these characters speaking to him are all him, you know, working this out in his head. And I really loved it. Of course, now... We don't know how this is going to end because he has also been infected with the curse of Rorschach and seems to be becoming one himself. Is he going to kill Turley? Who knows? It's interesting to think of Rorschach as like a virus, mm -hmm. which is, I think, probably carries over from the... Actually, I'm trying to remember what was in the original text, but it's definitely been adopted by other people since then, right? which is interesting. Well, the show even played with it a little bit. you know. The yeah. I saw that you made the pick before I had read the issue, mm -hmm. and I started to read it, and I was a thousand percent confused. And so <laughs> I, I did something that I never do. We talked about last week. I read number 10. Yeah. I went back, I read number 10, and I got my bearings, and then I went through this. This is not a... Listen, we have to read a lot of comics on a given Wednesday, Thursday period, mm -hmm. and there's limited time, and sometimes you move fast through them. Mm, I don't move fast through well, it's not to say I don't pay attention to them, but some of them, you know, they could be more breezy and I have a shorthand of going through stuff, which isn't to say I'm not paying attention to it, but it's like watching a network sitcom versus watching The Wire. You have to lock into one to really get everything out of it. And so I had to adjust my attention span to sort of get through this. And really, so like I spent a lot of time on this issue and I don't think that that is a weakness necessarily. No, it's very dense. Yeah, but you have to work. Mm. I think that if you were to look at a given page in here, there's a lot of dialogue on the page. And we were just, you know, offline, Connor and I were just talking about somebody. Another book. Yeah, another book where there was a, way too much dialogue on the page. And the exception to that rule is that if the dialogue is compelling, it doesn't matter. Mm -hmm. But it can sort of ruin you to hit a wall of text in the middle of something. So I don't think there was a lot in this one, actually. There's a lot more of that in the last issue. But I had to really pay attention to sort of all the bits and, and bring them back in. And I think that, again, I don't, we've talked about this. I don't love mystery mm -hmm. as a genre, mm -hmm. but more than the story part, I'm really, I'm always really impressed by the craft of the thing. Mm -hmm. Like how you take something that intricate and lay it out narratively so that you're not giving away too much, but you're giving people enough to, you know, keep them hooked. And then you do the reveal. And I, I think through the last issue in this one, it is explaining a lot. Mm -hmm. Well, this is the penultimate moment in the mystery story, which I yeah. love. I'm a mis huge mystery fan where yeah. you have everything sort of revealed to you before the climax. Like you get all the clues that make sense and then mm -hmm. the hero has to go off and do something. Now, right. very often as well, there's a feint right before the end. So right. I don't know if there's yeah. a feint here or not. It doesn't always happen. It is a trope with mysteries that... The, the killer is revealed, but the killer is not the actual killer. And then they're revealed. So who knows? But this is definitely the, all the pieces have come together in this guy's head now. And this is the info dump that he's giving us of what it all means. And I thought it was shown in a really compelling way by showing girl's life and the Steve Ditko making comics. Meyerson. Yeah. Who's <laughs> Ditko? No, I know. I know. I, and I just, I've loved the, the meta-ness <laughs> that, of. That's my favorite. Yeah, it was Ditko. The, the meta-ness of. <laughs> you know, comics as a career that's gone through this whole thing as well. Yeah, and what I was getting at, I guess, is that comics as a medium does not necessarily lend itself to the info dump. 
but I thought that this was handled in the last issue in this one was handled pretty well. And I, it really made me wonder like how much of the visual script was, you know, how much Fornes was trying to decide what he should be doing and how much he brought to that because I think it was handled really well. Mm-hmm. You have really interesting visuals on top of that info dump and that is a high wire. And then at the same time in this issue, you have surrealism. I mean, you have, yep. Yep. you know, n- nothing that you're seeing or like half of what you're seeing isn't actually happening. You know, Ruffalo Colombo gets shot in the face and you do have to take a second to be like, wait, are we, cause uh, sometimes a, a dream sequence or a surreal sequence or something will be given some sort of a signifier. And in this, I think it's the lighting. Yeah, totally. It's lighting. Yeah. But as we switch to those pages where Rorschach shoots him in the face, the lighting in the room that is real is still there. And so I had to want to like, wait, did somebody come in the room did that, you know, like I don't, mm-hmm. I just didn't know. And then mm-hmm. of course they cut back and he's fine. And on page 25 of the digital reader is a doorknob covering up a butt crack just perfectly. And <laughs> I, I have to give credit for that because that is a wonderful bit of Austin Powers type privates covering. I think that I really appreciated it and I liked it. I don't know if I enjoyed it as much as you did mm-hmm. well, because sure. it is one of the things that is, it is large. It's, it's not very fun. You know, it's it's humorless. And I don't mean that in a bad way, but like it's super serious, which I think I was trying to wonder if like the original Watchmen was super serious or it was tongue in cheek serious a lot of times. Like it was like arch, you know, melodrama or something like that. But I think that this is I don't know. I was going to say I think this is really serious. And then I'm like, well, I do see a girl in a cowgirl suit with a mask and like all of that sort of undercuts everything. But it's, it's, it's the same thing, though. Like there's a lot in the text and there's a lot to think about. And I think that what it's doing is bringing a different genre to this Watchmen thing. Meaning that like this isn't trying to ape what Watchmen was like. It's doing a mystery. I guess Watchmen is a mystery, but it's not exact. Totally. Well, you know what? I'm taking it back. I think actually it does sort of ape what that's exactly what Rorschach yeah. went through. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right. Fair enough. <laughs> Let me ask you this question, though. I mean, there's a lot to think about. That's the thing. That's actually that's the thing with Watchmen in general is that like go back and read it again. It will be better the second time you read it. And then the third. It, it does. And, and I'm guessing this will work in the same way. But how heavily anticipated was this series for you? Were you looking forward to it or ambivalent? I think it's as anticipated as all Tom King prestige miniseries were. I wasn't like, I was like, whoa. Really? Oh, yeah. I, I, I'm heavily, I anticipate all of his miniseries. But it wasn't like I heard about it went, wow, awesome. It was like, oh, interesting. Yeah, no, I think that's about right. I think I was more excited for Strange Adventures because I just, I thought that's a cool thing with that character that we don't see a lot of. Oh, yeah. It isn't what I thought it was going to be. The anticipation Again, that's for Strange Adventures was, was definitely higher than this for, yeah. for this, but they're all high for me. It's mm-hmm. just, when they announced it, I almost kind of thought it was a joke because of all the tension around Watchmen sequels, although I think I feel like that's dissipated since the TV show. I mean, it's happened so often now that, that like, you have to kind of get used to it. Like somewhere there's a guy and he's like the Japanese soldier in a cave. Oh, sure. There's, some, there's, there's several of them. But they're not majorities. Announcing a Rorschach miniseries with Hori Fornas, I was like, well, that's going to be interesting at the very least. Yeah. And it turned out to be true. Again, we have one more issue to go of this. We have one more issue to go of Strange Adventures. Obviously, Supergirl is in the process. I don't even know where we are with Batman, Catwoman, uh, maybe halfway through. But these final issues will tell the tale of you know how successful they are. Mm-hmm. We'll see. Right now, I think I'm enjoying this one slightly more than Strange Adventures. In another world, when I was a person who would pick such, I would pick such things. I could easily make a case that Ahore Fornes could be my favorite working artist. Mm-hmm. Now, I don't think that anymore because it's just too many great artists with different styles who do different things. I I can't think in those terms, but like on paper, that realism, economy of line sort of cartooning, but you know, great realism in form. Mm-hmm. That's all my favorite things. This guy came along seemingly from out of nowhere, you know, yeah. and at first it was like, well, this guy's a lot like Dave Mazzucchelli. I've completely forgotten about that part, by the way. Right. And I don't I think that you can see the influence now, but it isn't like an impression. No, it's shifted just enough. Also, he's yep. not doing Batman. Mm-hmm. It's there more with Batman. Maybe, which is fair. I also really enjoyed Fantastic Four Life Story number three. Issue two was Ryan Haupt's pick when he guested on the show. The Life Story miniseries, if you don't know, is the miniseries that takes us through a full life of the characters where they age supposedly in real time. You know, the first issue was in the 60s when the character first appeared. Now we're into the 80s. The characters are 20 years older, than, so they're, you know, into middle age. Johnny Storm's 40. And he can't get over it, and I hear you, Johnny. <laughs> so I think this miniseries has been terrific. I think Mark Russell is great for the Fantastic Four. And this story lends itself to the kind of 
you know, satire, not even satire, the kind of social commentary Yeah, that Russell really excels at. Well, I think it's interesting that he dialed out most of the, even the jokes that he's put in I mean, other it's, series it's that are ahead, serious. It's a straight ahead yeah. Marvel book, but it's got his commentary in it. Yes. So the whole time, Reed, he's been obsessing over the coming of Galactus because he's, when he was in space and they got their powers, he was also given a vision of Galactus coming. And so he's, he's been trying desperately to get anyone to care about the coming of Galactus or climate change. Either one could be a metaphor. You know, I, I didn't put that together, but wow, I don't know how I missed that. Here, oh, in, in 1984, Reed and Tony Stark are pitching Ronald Reagan on a space defense initiative, which would sort of ring the planet with missiles and lasers to protect against Galactus, but all they care about is turning those missiles around, pointing them back at Earth, our enemies, notably the Soviet Union. I like Tony's oversized 80s suit, although I feel like he should have had a skinnier tie, like a checkered, <laughs> squared-off skinny tie, but that's just... My memory of what guys like him dressed like in the 80s. And so that doesn't go well. R- Reagan's not into that. Franklin's having trouble at school, at his boarding school, because his powers are kicking in. Reed is now a divorced guy wearing a tracksuit yes, at is. home because Sue left him for Namor in the last issue. What's funny is that if you look at the tracksuit, the pants are too long, and I feel like he could fix that. Yeah. Just stretch himself out a little bit. True. Yeah. And then he goes on Letterman with... Jose Santini, tech geek, who is actually the, the mad thinker in disguise. I like how they're keeping Doom in jail in the UN for trying to attack the UN. I don't think that's legal, but who cares? Then Johnny gives a speech to the UN wearing a pink polo shirt, which I don't think they'd, they'd allow. Johnny's outfits, like, it, was you reading through it? Like, I'm so used to seeing characters in bad clothing over the years that have nothing to do. I kind of just assume, like, oh, this is just how this guy draws. And then I remember, like, oh, no, it's the 80s. So that makes it more fun to go back and look through the clothes, the stuff that Johnny's wearing. Johnny also has a a hot stuff gold chain, which (laughs) is a choice. He's desperately clinging on to his youth. Oh, yeah, he really is. It's great. Namor is dressed like Don Johnson from Miami Vice, which I was just hoping somebody would be. And, of course, it's Namor. With, With no shoes. Well, I lo- in this one, you've got a different Namor because he's shacked up with Sue right. right up until the end, you know, and, and they're supposedly happy together. And you kind of like it because you're like, oh, that is that is, you know, that's kind of an interesting alternate thing. And it softens him or whatever. And then the end of that story is that he he says some dumb shit and she's like, forget this. And you're like, oh, that's how she gets back to where she's supposed to be. Right. You know. The facade cracks. Well, and also with the events of the issue in which Mad Thinker teams up with Doom to set off the nuclear weapons. They have different agendas. Mad Thinker wants to cleanse the Earth of most people. So, sets off the missiles. The Fantastic Four plus a couple other heroes have to stop it. And it turns out that Johnny dies in the process. And so that's partially also why Sue ends up back with, or at least with Reed Mm -hmm. at the gravesite. Right. Um, And then she she joins up with the team. That's the... I thought this was terrific. Yeah, no, it was. It was a lot of fun. It's a really nice line of doing, you know, an alternate take on things that totally works. Again, Russell, I think, really impressively sort of slides his style into this, and it works perfectly. I liked that we got to see, when all the heroes go off in the world, we see 80s Iron Man, one of my favorite designs, and, you know, 80s Thor. And I was like, oh, they're actually uh, relevant to that time period, and it works. I like the relationship between Ben and Reed in this. Mm Mm-hmm. You know, that road dog thing going. Yep. And then, of course, at the end, Johnny can't be over 40. So right. he doesn't get to be over 40 in this story. Do you think Ben bought Reed the tracksuit? Yeah, that's probably what happened. Yeah, I think so. Ben's from... He's, he's from Lower Side. Yeah, he's Lower... But, and that's not Queens, but still. No. There's shared lineage. There is an Adidas store down there. Yeah. Well, there you go. That's not Adidas, though. It's only got the two stripes. Yeah, not in the 80s. So that's Kmart. That's true. Or... High end. Spider-Man: The Spider Shadow Number Five. This is somewhat tonally similar to Fantastic Four: Life Story. This is the final issue of the What If miniseries, which you have to squint to see the logo on, on the cover. Written by Chip Zdarsky, with drawn by Pasquale Ferry, Matt Hollingsworth, Joe Sabino, and this is the What If Peter Parker had kept the Venom suit, not given it up when he realized it was an alien trying to s- take over his uh, consciousness. And so we've had the fallout of that, and this is the finale in which the symbiotes have infected a lot of the heroes. It's sort of a one man against all these Venom characters. I also enjoyed this miniseries quite a bit. I think this was incredibly yeah, fun. I think it came together a lot in the end. And now that I'm looking at it, 
I've definitely was getting things mixed up when which one was in which book. Because <laughs> it's sort of the same time period. Because Spider-Man, yeah, it's all eighties. It's all eighties. Yeah, yeah. So they're in the black suit, and this is that Johnny. And in fact, this is the funeral. You did do that. No, the funeral. Yes. The, there's a there's a at the end of oh, there's another one of Susan life story there at the grave. Yeah, and she invites Spider-Man. Okay, yeah, you're right. There's two funerals. Two Fantastic Four funerals this week. Yeah. Ugh. Well, I wasn't confused when I was reading them, but I'm confused when I'm talking about them, so that's fair. I think the ending was actually pretty elegant. It was. In terms of sort of Reed doesn't make it in sort of a, a, a really good supervillain twist. I don't think Reed can die that way, though, but I just let it go. I don't think he can be stabbed because he's malleable. Well, he was, he was inside him. Yeah, I let it go very quickly. For a second, I was like, can he die that way? It doesn't matter. So yeah. Reed, Reed gets killed in the fight. They showed the aftermath photo. And I was like, well, he looks dead, so. Oh, no, he's with dead, that. but I just, like, yeah. okay, I let it go. It's the thing about what ifs, and I have to, well, I'm working on myself, you know. As sure. human beings, we're constantly working on ourselves. I'm working on the idea that Should what be. ifs are not always going to be what they were when I was a kid. You know, this is a different <laughs> kind of what if story. So is the cartoon. It's a different world. Originally, the what if story was meant to show why, that what really happened in the Marvel Universe was the better option. So it always, always ended in tragedy. Huh. You could say here it ends in tragedy because Reed dies, but the ending is that Pete takes Reed's spot in the Vanessa Fort, which is smart. And yeah. like that makes sense. I actually really like the idea that he's got one of their costumes on and no mask because he gets outed in this. Yes. But Reed, they, these people don't have secret identities. And I was like, that is a situation in which his identity being known is fine. Yes. Totally makes sense. And then what you had is these very, very comic book episodic epilogue. Of the threat not being over, the two right. pages at the end. God, I hope they're not coming back to this. I think just end it. No, I, yeah, no, like leave it with that sort of uh, cliffhanger is not the word for that. This actually had one of my favorite things happen in it that I've been thinking about for a while because as a comic reader, I'm insane. And that is that often in the, these comics, Johnny Storm, I often wonder, is he actually made of flame? Because they show him touching people or saving people in flame form. Oh, I know what you're talking about. Or standing near people in flame form. And I always feel like he should only flame on when he goes into the sky away from people. Because if he's made of flame, A, he'll burn people. But B, he'll cook people. Mm -hmm. And so here, he has to rescue Mary Jane, who gets tossed off a building. And when he does, he has to deflame that part of him that's catching her or holding her hand. And not even the arm, but also like the whole body that's near her. And I thought, hey, someone's actually thinking about the fact that he's a fucking guy of fire. Mm -hmm. You know, in other comics, we see him, like, touching stuff or shaking hands. And it's like, he yeah. is flame. Yeah, I, I noticed that, too. It's like he kept his hand. Because when he was holding her, the first thing I thought, he's going to burn her. And I looked, and I was like, oh, no. They, he took the flame off his hand so he control which part of him is flame. And he would be hot. But also, they're flying through the air, so therefore, it's behind. It doesn't matter. They thought about it, and they did a thing. I agree with you. Yeah, I was very happy. So this is also really fun. My annoyance about the branding of What If being so relegated, which is funny because they're doing a cartoon called What If, you think they would have really put it on there. And my annoyance of... Is that the same logo? Honestly, I didn't even look when I watched the cartoon. But putting that aside, I always loved What Ifs. I love mm -hmm. the alternate takes on classic storylines. And I thought this was incredibly fun. I think, you know, as we've said many times, Chip Zdarsky's having his moment right now. He says so many things. Yeah. Like so many things. I don't even know if it was this week, but there's at least two things this week. At and they were two, both... Yeah wonderful yeah yeah he yeah. really is he's having his moment if you're looking for a self-contained alternate timeline 80s marvel story this is terrific again mm -hmm. really 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 good great art pasquale ferry has a really fun style doesn't really fit any time frame it's not like he's trying to do the 80s mm -hmm. great storytelling action from him this was terrific absolutely over in Runaways, which is Runaways number, I don't know why it says 11. Runaways number 38, which is Legacy Runaways number 100. And the final issue. Yes, in the final issue. And I did not know that it was going to it was be. canceled. It shouldn't have been. What I'm here to say is that this was 38 issues of wonderful comic books of these characters. And because they're not classic, you know, like really old Marvel characters, the things that were happening were interesting and compelling and uh, you know i don't know i'm not familiar with rainbow rolls prose work mm -hmm. but she instantly knew how to use the comic book form and didn't fall into the tropes that so many other novelists did it was you know the, the things that made it great were there was this cast of characters and people came in and out of it and it was unexpected so you had the you had jib the jimmerum who was you know the god 
who needed to be fed souls. And, and that didn't go the way that it was supposed to. He became part of the gang and he was just kind of sad about certain things all the time. But he, you know, he cared about the people and they cared about him. You had the doom bot who became like their protective butler, but still has the doom <laughs> attitude. There's a time travel thing in the end. There's romance and drama. And there's a cliffhanger of, uh, I think it's Alex at the very end, you know, leaves them something to come back to. You know, and then at the same time, between Christopher Anka and um, Andre Genele, you know, just perfect art. Those two styles really work together, and so it felt like there was continuity to it. I'm telling you, so for 38 issues, I've looked forward to all of these issues, and they come out, and, you know, they don't necessarily blow you away with, like, I can't believe what happened. But, but you've loved them all. You're always talking about them. Yeah, no, absolutely. You know, and 38 issues isn't, isn't nothing. No. But I, I could have kept going. I'm kind of bummed. And there's a really cool time travel aspect in the end where future Gert comes back and she's with 16-year-old Gert. I don't think they're that far apart, but they've both been through some different shit. And they're arguing with each other. And, and it's like, you're literally me. It's not even an alternate timeline. You're the me from earlier. <laughs> I've been through this. How should you trust her? It's me. <laughs> and it's fun. Even like Molly... The kid, you know, with all the power, we get to see her sort of develop a little bit. You know, she's still a little kid, but she's got a little more mature sensibilities. And we get to see her in the future a bit. And ah, it's great. I really enjoyed it. I'm going to miss this series a heck of a lot. If you listen to this, you're probably not on the fence or thought about it. But, you know, if you've been a Runaways fan, this is the best Runaways that I've read since probably the initial sort of bit. Since Vaughn. Yep. Wow. Yep. Just a great comic book. Batman Urban Legends number six. You may have heard of this one this week. Let's start with the Chip Zdarsky story, <laughs> which I thought was the best Jason oh my Todd God. story I've read in, in ages. This is part six of six. This is where we also, also I want to know, this is where we thought that the series is ending because all the stories ended with this issue. Yeah. But apparently it's not. Oh, I don't know. Okay. I don't know. It's hard to say. It's an anthology book. The other confusing thing is it's taking place sort of all over the map in terms of continuities. Everything. So it's hard yeah. to place anything. But this Jason Todd story. This might have been my pick of the week just because of this story. If it was just this Jason Todd story, yes. I think this issue might have been pick of the week. But it's got other things in it. But this particular story in which he and Batman have been sort of going up together, but they're not really together, going up against the anti-scarecrow. His gas gives everyone their greatest happiness. Cheer. Cheer is his name. While we're flashing back to Batman and Jason's time as Robin. It's been terrific. The art's been great. I mean, there's been like a cast of thousands drawing this particular story, but they all worked well together. And this really has explored Jason's particular trauma, Batman's particular guilt. And it got better. Yeah, as annoying as Jason is to be back, there's a guilt there that's really interesting mm -hmm. with Batman that you can't have with any other Robin. Because he yeah. died. He died under his watch. So there's a lot of things here. It's a great moment where... Batman gets gassed, and so Jason has to save the day, but he is out of suits, so he wears one of Batman's old suits, but with his Red Hood helmet, and that leads to Batman making him the Red Hood outfit we see him wear today with the red Batman symbol on it. Mm -hmm. This was great. This was really great. When I started reading it, I expected nothing. I thought, ah, it's a Jason Todd story, whatever. Mm -hmm. And there was the seed of the thing there. And as you kept going through each issue, you know, it got more compelling. It got more interesting. And I looked forward to it more. So by the time this one came along, you know, I was really excited. And it's almost, let's see, it's a full issue. It's 20. It's almost 20. Is it 20 pages? It's actually more. It's 24, 5, five 25 pages. Hmm. So, you know, it's full issue. Yeah. You're getting all of it. And it's the first time maybe ever that I was like, oh, I get this Jason Todd character in a way that makes me not hate him. Right. Because it's always like, well, what is this guy hanging around for? And there's actual character development here. Mm -hmm. You know, he's like, I'm not going to. I've been using rubber bullets for a while. I'm not really going to kill anybody. I can't. You know, I didn't expect any of that. So it's such a delight. Yeah, I, I really. Also, I loved the kid, his relationship with the yep. kid that he saved in the beginning and his whole Red Hood, Blue Hood thing. It's like, Jesus, man, stab me right in the heart with that stuff. Right. I'm just saying they need a new Batman writer. They got one right here. It's a good point. They got one right here. He's right here. Take him. And then Marcus Toe. I love the Marcus Toe flashback. Art. I, I think this has all been a terrific little package. Then we had a one-shot Matthew Rosenberg, Chris Sprouse. I don't think I recognize Chris Sprouse anymore. I think he changed his style. No. He used to be one of the most recognizable artists in comics. And I did not know this was Chris Sprouse until doing the credits for the script. I think I saw his name in the credits, and I was like, ooh. And then when I was reading it, it didn't occur to me because it doesn't. He used to be so... 
unique, and I just think whatever has happened, he looks just like every other DC artist now. This was a zealot story because I guess we're really doing the whole Wildcats in the Gotham City thing. I mean, if anybody's going to do it, it should be Matthew Rosenberg. Yeah, and it was fun. Matt zealot fights Wonder Woman after dressing up as Wonder Woman to kill somebody and then uh, ends up taking her blood into a vial for some reason. I'm going to try to clone mm-hmm. Wonder Woman or something. It was fine. I enjoyed it. As a one-shot, it was fun. Yeah. So then we're going to skip the third one just because that's the longer conversation. And then it ends with a Black Canary story written by Josh Williamson, drawn by Trevor Harrison, who I'm really, really loving. I mean, you, you do that Ollie mustache. Yeah. <laughs> he did Deceased. We loved him on Deceased. But now it's the point where I see his name and I get really excited. Yeah. And so here we have Barbara recruits Dinah to go on a mission to infiltrate this group in England, Trust, this shadowy group. And it turns out her partner is Deathstroke. And she's unhappy about that. It was very 80s, 90s story structure. Yeah. You know, like it moves real fast. And then there's a page at the end with Deathstroke in that sort of that comic book pose. You know, everything about it straight out of how to draw comics the Marvel way. And, you know, there's another big reveal at the end. And I like through the part where she meets the woman and the woman's describing like the organization and she's like, I'm in. I was like, that was awful fast. Yeah, you know, like, really there's no one. <laughs> they don't really vet people in trust. They just trust you. <laughs> well, there you go. This is all leading into, I guess, a new series, Deathstroke Incorporated. Number one. Don't know what that's all about or who's doing it, but that's the cliffhanger here. This whole urban legend thing has been strange. It's been either like lead in stories or flashback stories or it's, it's, mm-hmm. it's kooky. So the third story is Tim Drake in some of our parts, number three of three, written by Megan Fitzsimmons with our Babylon Ortega. And this whole story has been about Tim trying to rescue his friend, his old friend, Bernard. Mm. Is that his name? Yep, yep, yep. Bernard. Well, you said it, uh, Bernard. You said it in the, the British way. I did. Well, you know. Hello, just, Bernard. <laughs> just watched Ted Lasso. See you again. Bernard character last night. Yes. And so the big news here is that Tim reveals he's in love with Bernard and wants to go on a date with him. And that's been all over the news that Robin is, at the very least, bisexual. And there's been a polarizing, as you might expect, a polarizing reaction. Although not super polarizing, as far as I can tell. People are getting very used to it. <laughs> the creators came out and said, yeah, we used to write him that way. I don't know what the big deal is. So, you know, obviously it's not a big deal. I think the real question has been, does this make sense for him? And I don't, I don't know the answer. So I saw what had happened you know, very, even though I'm off social media, it's mm-hmm. still... Oh, it was in, like, NPR. You know, yeah, and I haven't read this story, because as, as you may remember, I was only reading the Red Hood story in Urban right. Legends. It felt very... It felt not like Tim Drake to me, through mm-hmm. the whole thing. It felt like it had a place to get to, mm-hmm. and that what happened before that didn't really matter. So they were driving at a thing, and a lot of his... Uh, we talked about this. It, some things don't make sense to me, and it is that... Tim Drake, I think you said this, is the most self-assured member of the Bat family. Yeah. Like He's the dude who's got his shit locked down. Mm-hmm. And so it feels, and I'm talking about the character yeah. and the method, that the craft of the thing. I don't care about the other stuff. It doesn't bother me one way or another. However, this is about a character who is unsure of himself mm-hmm. and doesn't seem to have a good sensibility of what's going on. So Bernard wants to help. You know, and he's like, but Batman work alone. What is? And I was like, what are you talking about? It didn't feel like the Tim Drake, who is my favorite Robin. Yeah. The one who I know the most about. And he just seemed like like they brought him back in time and they took away a lot, some of his agency. I was thinking about this after I read that. I don't know that I've read every comic Tim Drake's been in, but I've probably read 90% of the comics that Tim Drake's been in. Right. I mean, I was there in 90, whatever it was. I had the Neil Adams poster on my wall that came in the comic. Mm-hmm. Even going back to when he first appeared and when he figured out who Batman and Robin were. Now, putting aside whether or not this has always been there and I just have, as a straight man, haven't noticed it, that's entirely possible. And again, I don't have a problem with, with the reveal, but it does seem out of character. And in, when I think about it, in James Tinian's detective run, Robin was one of the main characters. Tim Drake is one of the main characters. And it's hard to say Robin because there's fucking Damien. But he was all of a sudden very unsure of himself in that book. Like he. Didn't know what his place in the world was. He didn't know, really know if he was a Robin or even a member of the Bat family. All of a sudden, he broke up with Stephanie. I remember being like, at the time, going like, wow, they're, they're really just... Hollowing this character out. And he didn't even match with like the version of him and Young Justice, where he and Stephanie were like a very solid couple. Like, 
it just all of a sudden they were just giving him all the self doubt. And I thought, well, they just, I guess they just want some character stuff to work with with him because he's always the, the character in the family who doesn't need it. You know, he doesn't need the superhero life because he knows who he is and he knows where he's going with his life. And so he was always very exactly. self-assured about who he was and his place in the world. And to suddenly give him self-doubt about everything, I thought that was strange. And so this continued here. I just don't 100% necessarily buy this character development. But then again, like I said, maybe the signs are always there and I just didn't see them because I don't know what I'm looking for. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. I don't think it was a particularly good comic book story. This one? Yeah. As a piece of comic booking, you know, it, if it wasn't Tim Drake, it might have gotten more. But I was I didn't recognize the character. Mm-hmm. I don't know the people writing it or drawing it. I didn't recognize either of those names. Yeah. So, yeah. It rung hollow with me to a certain extent. And also, I mean, you were reading Detective and you said whatever. But, like, it did feel like it was from out of nowhere. Yeah, if you hadn't read the Detective run, for sure. I mean, I'm sure that's where they... I don't want to say sowed the seeds for it, but that's clearly where the the ball got rolling on it was that detective run, whether Mm -hmm. we knew it or not. Yeah. But even that, you said, felt off. Yeah, it did, because it was like, well... This isn't this guy. And I think that the thing that bothers me is that there was a thing they wanted to do, and they had to choose a cipher for who that was going to be. Or they had this character that they weren't sure what to do with, and so they found an endpoint, even if it didn't necessarily... And again... I'm not talking about the character sexuality, but I am talking about a different interpretation of who that character is, mm-hmm. meaning that, you know, the way that he acted and was presented was not in line with the character who we've known for 20 years or something like that. More than that, yeah. But you're right. Like, I, 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 you're, the thing about, like, Robin never needed to be Robin. Right. Like, he would have been the one who could have walked away. He had a family. Like, he had, his dad was killed at some point, but he wasn't an orphan. Right. You know, it's all a lot of stuff there. Yeah, it's a lot. I mean, I think... Reasonable people can disagree whether this makes sense for the character. I think that's okay. Obviously, if you're mad about this for homophobic reasons, then you can go fuck off. But <laughs> I don't necessarily buy this as the character. I think that's totally a reasonable reaction to this story. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, maybe he had a late life realization. It, I don't know. Yeah. It'd be interesting to see a bisexual person's take on this as at least something that was, you know, like, yeah, no, that happened. I didn't really think about it until I was 25. You know, Tim and Stephanie were one of my favorite couples. And so they were always really rock solid. Yeah, and yeah. That's why the breakup was so out of nowhere, where he just, like, dumped her for no reason. And so my first re- how, concern reading this was, oh, How old do you think they're on. playing him? Do you think they're playing him at 17 or 25? No, or? it's not 25. He's definitely a teenager. Yeah. He's a late, he's a late stage teenager. He's probably, like, 16, 17. Because they've been talking about mm-hmm. college. Mm-hmm. So, they've been talking about college since 91. He's got to write his essay. He's just doesn't have time. <laughs> I mean, at the end of here, it says Batman Urban Legends number 10. It continues in that. So uh, that was my assumption that the series is continuing. Mm-hmm. So, But we're going to wait four more issues. From where, I don't know. Who knows? But it got a lot of people talking about Tim Drake. Let's talk about essential menswear. Shall yes. we? Let's okay, do it. We're not going to do it forever. I think even the Mack Weldon people are like, guys, wrap it up. <laughs> so let's assume that you are a busy guy. Yes. Most of you listening are. There are others who are listening who do not fall under that, but I'll be honest with you, most of you are. So you got to stop thinking about what to wear. Just embrace the radically efficient Mack Weldon daily wear system. I like where this is going a lot. <laughs> daily wear system is a selection of clothes rooted in smart design, made with performance fabrics and built to work together. From breathable t-shirts and polos to stylish button-ups and shorts, underwear. What's the difference between a button-up and a button-down? Uh, well, you button sh- usually... You- Button the shirt down mm-hmm. and then the shorts buttoned up. Right, but there's oh, also there's shirts. Button. Yeah. You know button what? Button ups. I think that's maybe it's a regional thing. Possibly. Anyway, they have stylish button ups and shorts, underwear and beyond. Macwell that makes it easy for you to dress for work, leisure play, wherever your summer takes you. Or we're getting into a fall area here. I'm not gonna go back to the beginning of the show where I was like, I can't believe it's already fall. What I would say is, thank God it's almost fall. <laughs> now this was this is fortuitous. I had some dead soldiers. Yeah, uh-oh. Of various, of various types of underwear, and I thought, well, i I got to shore this up. Because the fact is, I've become spoiled. I'm very used to premium men's underwear. Mm-hmm. And so I don't want to be running low and then have to, you know, because there's a few, a few pair in there that are just, they've been there for a while, and when the laundry needs to come, like, I guess I'll wear these. I couldn't have it. So okay. I, I placed an order. I had to shore up my membership status to make sure that I can continue getting the discounts and such. Mm-hmm. So I brought in a few pair, and what I got was the Airknit HD. I've been a big fan of the Airknit okay. boxer briefs in the summer. They're very breathable. They're light. They're perfect. I, I wear them to the gym. I do those sorts of things. And the HD are the same thing, but smoother. 
because mm. the the air knit have like a waffle knit sort of thing yes, going on. Yes, yes. And I didn't actually realize I had ordered the HD, or I did, but I didn't recognize the difference. And I was like, wait, these are smooth, <laughs> and they're delightful. Uh, they're they're a little bit brighter colors. They're good. I also got some of the eighteen hours. Those are my mainstay. Those are the things that I do. It has been remarkably hot and humid lately, and the Mac World is sort of just t-shirt. The the regular has been really good for that. It's breathable. It doesn't get stinky. It's very nice. Also, there's the silver. There's a lot of options for this time of year. It's good. And then, of course, there's the the ultimate lazy clothes. There's the ace sweat shorts, which are I have the sweat pants. I don't have the shorts. Mm. Really good tailoring. They're not all baggy. I looked down and I was wearing an old pair of shorts the other day, and they're way too baggy. I was like, I look ridiculous. <laughs> I, got, I got mad at my shorts. They pair perfectly with the uh, ultra soft upgraded Pima tees. That's what I was talking about. For weekend travels, there's the silver knit polo and radius shorts. The perfect high tech, highly packable combo. I cannot tell you how much I love specialized clothing for things. Like if you're going, like I have a, a shirt for going out uh, in the woods that is perfect. And then it's a different one than I would wear when mowing the lawn. I'm a big fan of specialization, and they're really good at that with those travel-type clothes and things like that. So mm-hmm. buy some time this summer with the Mack Weldon Daily Wear System. 20% off your first order is MacWeldon.com slash iFanboy. You can enter the promo code iFanboy. That's MacWeldon.com slash iFanboy with the promo code iFanboy. It's 20% off your first order. It is a radically efficient wardrobing system. And if you're listening to this and you're like, well, I already used my 20% off, the thing that's interesting is when you start adding stuff to your cart, you start to see a discount get added to as you keep going. I added something. It was like, you're down to 10% off. And I was like, oh, I added another thing, 20% off. Took them out, lost the discount, put it back in. So that's always happening. So what I'm saying is the thing that you're looking at, if you buy the one pair, that might be the price. Do a couple more. All of a sudden, it gets to be a little more attractive. You mm-hmm. know what I'm saying? Makes a lot more sense. Yep. That's what I'm saying. Thanks to them for sponsoring this show. And I'll point out, I, I've just bought all those things. I'm a regular old customer, and I'm a fan. The Unbelievable Teens from the World of Black Hammer, number one, the latest Black Hammer book from Jeff Lemire and Tyler Crook on art. And I just wanted to mention, this was a lot of fun, although when I saw the title on the shipping list, I thought, oh, cool, they're going to do a Teen Titans take on the Black Hammer world, and it was Doom Patrol, which is fine, but it just wasn't what I was hoping for when I opened the book up. But Tyler Crook is incredible, and there's a very meta commentary here in which one of the teens jane ito is a comic artist and so there's a lot of you know the lifestyle of a comic artist here mm-hmm. there's a great transition where she's at the convention she's doing sketches she's taking photos she's signing autographs and she leaves the convention and suddenly the color palette gets a lot darker and grimier she's on the subway she's getting ramen noodles at the corner store to go back to drawing 18 hours a day. Like it was very much a transition between the life of the celebrity comic creator at the show versus once they leave the show. And then, of course, all hell breaks loose with her group. But uh, this was great. This was a really terrific issue. The silver coin number eight. Is it eight or was it six? Wow, it's five. What is... Wow. It's been a long week, Josh. This script is riddled with errors. I think this is the end of the first cycle of this yes, uh, anthology series yes, yes. where Michael Walsh, who is an incredibly talented artist, mm-hmm. went and he got a lot of people, some of the biggest names in writing comics, to collaborate on these horror stories with him. And I do not like horror stories, but I was really impressed by this and the breadth of the styles of writing that the different people will do. And he's got another cycle of these coming up with a whole new set of names, all of whom you recognize that's one of the things about anthologies is that you're never really sure what you're going to get. But everybody here, they're the top names on the things. You had, you know, Kelly Thompson and Chip Zdarsky. And I know he's got Josh Williamson coming up. And this one, he uh, wrote Andrew. Mm-hmm. I think that he had some help on the writing with Gavin Fullerton. And it was fun. And he, he it's funny because he, the end of it, for the part where, like, he does the essay. And there was not an essay in everyone, I don't believe. This no, was the end. No, 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 no. It wasn't about... The story, it was about the experience, which I'm cool with. He had a little drawing of himself there. It was nice. He's a good dude, but also he's extremely talented. And so I really enjoyed this. And I was just, I was kind of like happy to see, you know, him get this kind of success and attention. Yeah. Also, by the way, really good story. I should mention that. It was that. the origin of the coin in uh, the Salem witch trial days. Yeah. Which were all incredibly fucked up. And in reality, did not involve a lot of burning at the stake, but mostly it involved hanging. Yeah. Really great story structure on how he presented this whole thing, though. I thought this was great. This issue was one of my favorite ones. Yep. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. 
this guy comes into town and you're like, oh, who's this demon? It turns out he's more like the, you know, religious inquisitor type and he's yeah. going around trying to root out witches. And there's like the one girl and she's kind of annoying and, and she ends up giving up her friend who is a witch, by the way. Uh, not a bad. He wasn't wrong. He, but, nope, it's true. He wasn't wrong, but he made the wrong call because she's like, okay, you want me to act like a bad guy? <laughs> and, uh, and shit went down. I am what you made me. I thought this was a really, really fun issue. Pennyworth number one. Did you read Pennyworth number one? I did. Pennyworth number one, although not explicitly says, is clearly meant to tie into the, I would only assume, the runaway success of the TV show Pennyworth on the Epix channel. Epix, the channel you can't find and don't know how to access, even if you have I thought cable. it was Epix. Is it Epix? I think it's ep- probably Epix, but... Okay. I don't even know how to say it. That's how... <laughs> <laughs> this is young Alfred as a spy, and... At first, I was like, this is a very strange way to do this story where they're basically, he's basically telling us a story and it's tell, don't show, and it's, it's sort of like an overview of a mission. And then it, we find out he's in the present day or some version of present where he's not fucking dead, <laughs> tied up to a chair and bloodied. And he's sort of telling us the story from that point. And then we find out that his buddy, Spy, who was going to save him, is also tied up in a different room. They each think that they're coming to save each other. I loved that bit of it. I didn't so much love the flashback stuff, but I loved the present day stuff. I think it was a great big mess. I wanted to like it. I just love the present day idea of these two guys think they're each coming for each other, but they're both captured. I think that's an interesting conceit. The bit at the end was the system that they have is that they each reach out to each other every day mm-hmm. not in a, like in a like an empty text uh you know whatever just every day they check in at a certain time to make sure they're okay i wasn't terribly clear about like you just explained it i was like oh does that make sense but i don't think that the storytelling on that page was very clear oh. about what was going on because i thought like is his friend the bad guy no but now i'm realizing i was all beat up and bloody but since we didn't spend any time with alfred it wasn't only the first panel of that last page was clear that it was him. Anyway, it was a mess. It was way overwritten. It jumped around in a way that I don't think was helpful. I think that's a good concept there. I don't know how much I want to know about what Alfred was like before. I really like it. as, a, And this is, you know, whatever, read it or don't. Yeah. But it's much more fun to look at this character the way he is in current day and just have this idea. Like, He's dead I, in current think, day, Josh. He's dead. Well, let's let's just ignore that. But let's say that, you know, you know, like I like the idea that even Batman doesn't really know what he was up to. Yeah, I, I agree with you. That's partially why I, I didn't really seek out the show. I don't think I'll probably read any more of this. I was just curious. Yeah, I like Alfred as secretly a badass while he's making tea and and his, right. his cucumber sandwiches. We don't need to know more about it. Yeah. I re- I really don't think it helps. I don't think that's one of those things that it needs to explore. I don't think, like, we didn't need to know Wolverine's origins. I don't mind like when they drop in, like, oh, you know, he this is a woman from his past, and or, this is mm-hmm. something that happened in the past. Yes. I don't necessarily want to f- read a story about it, like a full-fledged story about yeah. it. Yeah. And if I do, I would like it to be better produced than this one. <laughs> Six Sidekicks of Trick or Keaton, number three, Kyle Starks, Chris Schweitzer. I've been really enjoying this. This isn't as good as the Kyle Starks, Chris Schweitzer previous books. What was the one mm-hmm. that was right before this one? Assassination. Assassination and then and Rock Candy Mountain, which were all both, I thought were both terrific. This is very good, but not terrific. I somehow missed issue number two. Mm-hmm. It, was like it was one of those weeks I was away and I just I didn't notice it or whatever. And so I said, ah, we're going to go in uh, an issue number three because I really did like it. And I didn't, I honestly, I don't know what I would have missed. Meaning like I got right in. I was like, oh yeah, I remember who all these people are. Like I didn't, Right. I jumped right in. It was totally fun. I like what a mishmash. Like, it's just a lot of stuff going yeah, on. Yeah, there's a once. lot. And they're doing a really good job at handling several Sidekicks. non-costumed characters who each have distinct personalities and the way that they interact with each other. And I think it's pretty high level in those terms. Comics have a really hard time with that concept. Yep. But, you know, outside of you can look at the Avengers and you know who they all are. But when you get into other characters you're not super familiar with, I think they did a great job. The girl uh, who is the the she's a young woman. She's 23. I can't remember her name, but she's that they go to find this last. She's sidekick. the sixth sidekick, the sixth. Right. So now they have. Them and all. so, you know, and she's fighting dudes in a bar and she's like a kung fu master and she's really funny and yeah. she's a really unique character. I think of the tropes of sort of these characters like I was like, I don't recognize this one. 
She's mm-hmm. female. She is, you know, is a kung fu master. There's a bit where she actually tried to sleep with Trigger Keaton, right. and he was like, "No." And then they give a couple of reasons for why that might have happened, and she is not happy that she did that, but she understands why. And then she's like, "I'm not going to drink." And then somebody gives her a margarita, and she's like, "This is amazing." So she spends the last part of the issue getting completely hammered on margarita after margarita, <laughs> and I was like, "You're going to pay for that tomorrow." But it was really funny. Like it was great drunk writing. Yeah, and then she still has a fight in the end and wins and beats everybody, and uh, it was delightful. I, I had so much fun reading it. It's a very fun book. Yeah, it was. These guys make really great comics together. They're funny. They tell good stories. You know, it's always with a comedic. Wait, comedy. wait, wait, wait. What do you mean? What are you? What are you saying? They amuse you? What? <laughs> we are already long. We don't have time for extra bits. Where are we now? All right. Quick, since we're so long, patreon.com slash ifanboy. That's, we have the new stretch goal. That's for the comic book TV show podcast. You can go read about it there. They've unlocked tons of extra shows that you're listening to uh, for free, but they do it through the patron. So check that out. ifanboy.threadless.com. We added one new design out now, which is an old design. It's our power and responsibility shirt. And then we have another one. I don't think it'll be live. I think it's live next week. I think that's what we talked about. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So they'll, not this week, but next week there'll be another design. And we have two more coming after that. Ifanboy.com uh, slash support. That's where you can leave us a PayPal tip if you feel like it. Don't want to be a patron or buy a shirt. Totally fine. Ifanboy.com slash Amazon. That's where you can buy the Booksplode books and you can find general shopping link there and all the ways that people help keep the show going, support the show in this new media economy in which it's all listener supported. Those are the ways you can do it. We do thank you for doing so. And if you're a patron, at patreon.com slash ifanboy, then you can vote to add a book to the rundown. Every patron can vote. And this week's winner, and Josh, I'm really sad that Vegas stopped taking bets on what the pick of the week would be because of that scandal we can't talk about legally, but <laughs> I think the, the heavy money would have been on Batman 89 number one, and that's the patron pick from Sam Hamm, the writer of the original Batman 89 film. Art it was Joe, a lock. Joe Quinones and Leonardo Ito on colors and Clayton Cowles on letters. They're putting out a couple of miniseries, this one and Superman, Superman 79, 78? Five. 70, 75? Is it 75? 79? Whatever, it doesn't matter. We'll get there. That live in the world of the movies. I was so excited for this issue. And then a couple of things bugged me about it. First, I didn't think the coloring helped the art. Joe Knonis is a great artist, and I really like him. But yeah, it didn't quite work. Not only, it also didn't look like the movie. Well, we'll get to that in a second, but it, his coloring doesn't need to be this... Superman 78, you're right. Doesn't need to be this rendered. You know, it's like mm-hmm. there was a lot of shading going on. Yeah. He's a really classic cartoonist who doesn't need the help. Doesn't need it. Yeah. And uh, I wish this, this style would go away. There's that. And then there's the fact that they just, I just assume, didn't even go after likeness rights. I just assume they didn't even try that because none of the characters here look like the actors. The biggest one, the biggest strangeness... Which led to my third problem was Bruce Wayne, who has the Keaton eyebrows and the lips, but then he's got this really long head, <laughs> and for some reason they gave him gray temples, so the, I guess this takes place well in the future, which is a strange choice. Because this is supposed to take place, it's, it's, is it a continuation after the Batman Returns? I don't know. Yeah, I, I noticed that, and I just thought, I don't remember... Like, why, why make Bruce so old? It's an odd choice. I, yeah. I don't know. So this is mostly about Harvey Dent, who, of course, you'll know, was played by Billy D. Williams in the first film. Billy D. Williams signed on to play Harvey Dent because he assumed, wrongly, that he would end up playing Two-Face and not get recast by Tommy Lee Jones. And so he's sort of the main thrust of the story here. He's dating Barbara Gordon who's a sergeant in the GCPD and thinks he might run for mayor. I mean, I like the way Joe Quinones draws the suit, Batman in the suit. Mm-hmm. The car. It's just, this was very strange. Like, set it in it the was. world, but uh, I don't know, it just felt odd. I think just I was really thrown off by the way Bruce Wayne looked. Uh, to give credit, I think that Sam Hamm, a 65, 66-year-old screenwriter, mm-hmm. who really doesn't have a lot of credits to his name, I was surprised about. Well, if he had points in that first movie, he don't need them. No, I get it. Yeah. He did a pretty good comic book. Yeah. No, it didn't feel like it was overridden. I thought that that worked pretty well, the pacing and everything. It was interesting to watch them try to get the tone of that. And it was sort of here because those were his words before. And this is 
now, but it was, you know, it's 32 years later. Mm-hmm. So it's not going to be the same thing. I mean, there was a political element. I don't want to say political. That's not exactly right. But, you know, Harvey Dent's a black man and he goes to his neighborhood and like that's part of it, which is not part of Harvey Dent. And that was kind of interesting. I So I definitely didn't expect that. Gordon is sort of getting shunted to the side. And then I like the idea that Bruce is in the middle of those things. But then Harvey comes out and he's like, I knew he wouldn't say yes. (laughs) That's what it sounds like. Is Chris Farley playing Gordon? Like, the character models were so weird. I don't mind that, honestly, because it let me know kind of who they were and I could fit it. But I, I don't I don't want to look at, you know, like, Quinones isn't a guy who needs to do likenesses of all the people. No, but he can because he's been, he's been showing sketches of these for a long time, which is why I've been right. so excited for it. Mm-hmm. Also, the more I look at it, the coloring was bad. I'm sorry. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it, it was had those bad. smudges on the foreheads that are supposed look to be lighting. Look at page five like. of your digital reader. It looks like Harvey has a skin condition. Yeah. yeah. Like, it's bad. Yep. You know, bad coloring, just like bad lettering, can really tank a book, mm-hmm. even with great art. Well, it's, it's like the color palettes aren't bad. On that same page, like the color of outside versus the color in the restaurant, I think that works really well, sets you up for where you are. The stuff in the exteriors looks like the movie enough but you just take away some of that rendering on the face like just yeah. take some of it away and you're good to go exactly but it's uh, there so yeah and where is Knox? he got a grant he's gone come on he's in japan jumping <laughs> for chairs with his grant i was so excited for Knox. uh-huh well it could it could still happen how many issues is this i think it's six or seven plenty of time really six or seven issues i think so that's yeah. too many <laughs> I think it says on the cover. Yeah, it's, it's six, six issues. I know that we're long, and I apologize for this. Yeah, but that's right. Just no emails this week. Keegan Michael Key was on the Conan show, and he told a story about one time where Billy D. Williams came on. That's a good story. Came on Key and yeah. Peel, and the whole thing was that he had a hard out by one o'clock, and so the whole time he's like, and Billy D. just could be like, "Are we done? Because I have to go." <laughs> I have to, and I could every panel that I went. I was like, "All right, all right, Bruce Wayne, I have to go." It's <laughs> you should. It's one of the funniest stories I've ever heard, and you should go listen to that episode of Conan Needs a Friend. But it like that is what Billy D became. Like, all right, George, do we have this shot? Okay, the bookies. Yeah, I got to go though. It's time. To, <laughs> this this Bestman thing has got to be over. We have an introduction here of the Robin character that was initially written into the film, but then removed. So we're going to get that version, which it was, I believe it was Marlon Wayans. Huh. Really? Yeah. Huh. I was really excited for this and really let down by it. So uh. my view on it might be harsher than, than it needs to be, but I just, I was so excited for this. It was the last comic I, I read. I noticed you said that about the Superman book too. Yeah. And, and I thought, why would you get your hopes up for that? Like, it's a great image, but so I think I'm lesser on the like, I wasn't very excited. I was interested. I was like, well, what's this going to be? But I didn't expect very much. Ratings for Batman 89 number one out of five stars. I'm going to give it a 2.89. Oh, I was going to say 2.79, but I think I'm going to go with you. We've been very simpatico on these things lately, I find. Are you going to finish this miniseries? I'm going to read the next issue and see where we are. All right. Patreon.com slash iFanboy. If you give it the $5 or higher level, you can get a superpower live on the show. I don't think we've ever hit the superpowers this late in the show before. Yeah, we got, we got to go. We, <laughs> we have to go. <laughs> the first patron to thank is Chris Sabona. Chris can turn anything into a bookmark. You ever been reading a book, Josh, and you just you don't have a bookmark handy? Sure. And I hate folding the page down. Yeah, me too. So I'm like, shit, I got to remember the page number, but what if anybody else has any other number, then it's going to be going away. So... Chris doesn't have that problem, whether it's a tissue or a shirt or a Buick Skylark 1987. He can turn it into a bookmark. That seems more complicated than it needs to be, but fair enough. <laughs> Listen, if, if all he has handy is the Buick Skylark, uh-huh. and he doesn't want to lose his page in the book, he can turn that Buick Skylark into a bookmark. No it's problem. It's not a question. Like a lot of, a lot of times Chris knew, didn't, didn't wonder if he could. Yeah. But he might have wondered if he should have. Well, that's an ethical question for Chris, yeah. Yeah, that's the thing. How are we going to get to the store now, Chris? I didn't want to lose my place. <laughs> can he Wait, so can he return the thing to pre-bookmark form? <laughs> yes, he can. Okay, good, because otherwise... <laughs> yeah, no, it's not permanent. I have, a, 
I have a bookmark in circulation that is a birthday card from my 40th birthday that I just kept using. Not in the mm. same book, but like, you know, like I finished the book, put the card down, and then another book came along. I was like, oh, there's that card. I that, have that a bookmark that I'm currently using that I got in Ireland. It was a hard plastic thing. It was a really nice, sturdy bookmark. Mm-hmm. And then I left it outside, and it got blown into the pool and stayed in the pool overnight. And now it is a soft plastic, flimsy, floppy little thing. <laughs> I have an actual bookmark. Lindsay bought me a, like a bookmark from like my Christmas stocking or something. So I have a book with an actual bookmark in it. For years I used – do you remember they gave away – they had a bunch of like, like handouts at the Vertigo booth. Mm-hmm. And the, the year that Why the Last Man came out, there was like, like, a, it was like a book, book, bookmark. I have that. I've been using that for years. I mean, I have about 35 bookmarks. Yeah. I just can never find them in a given moment. A lot of books in, in rotation. We have to move on. Yeah. Stephen Kushner is a soother. He can, he can diffuse any situation of emotional distress between people. You don't want to fight about that. He can, he can take the heat out of anger and argument, and we can move along with things and, and proceed rationally. So if Chris were to turn your car into a bookmark and you got upset, he would be like, don't worry about it, Josh. Well, we're going to work through this. And yeah. it's, not, it's not that he'd solve the problem, but he'd remove the emotional part that makes us unable to resolve conflict. Mm-hmm. So his job now is to go from town to town during town council meetings about kids in masks oh, no. and let them speak reasonably, right. which would make him the greatest person in the world. Right. You need a guy like that on your management team. I know that much. For sure. Actually, no. He'd get fired. They wouldn't recognize his value. <laughs> oh, I lost the script. Here we go. Jackie Tam. Jackie Tam, old school iFanboy listener. Jackie Tam's been around for a while. Thank you, Jackie, for your support. Jackie Tam doesn't need a watch, doesn't need to look at Jackie's phone. Jackie Tam always knows what time it is. <laughs> I know what you're doing. Just inherently <laughs> knows the time. Knows uh-huh. what time it is. No matter where, where, what time zone, you know, like the whole thing where you get off the plane and you got to change your watch, Jackie just knows the time. Down nice. to the second. Jackie's like a walking atomic clock. Okay, but it's not like he can just glance at the light and understand it. No, he just knows. He just, he just, he's just internally. Knows. Yeah, just knows. All right. Also, Jackie Tam, also a, a very good example of if you use your actual name as a username, then you become much more recognizable. These other people might have been around forever, but right. they called themselves like the, the Cheesinator or something. Right. So. Beetle Bob, 47. <laughs> Dallas Taylor knows he always knows the best coupon code on a mm. given website. He knows where the sales are. He knows how to get the discounts. He never pays retail. He always knows to get the best rock bottom price. He can say, "Well, I want to buy it from here, but I know that they have uh, they will beat any price thing." So you mm. go over here, you get that price, but then you can also stack a coupon on top of that. Sure, he's never paying more than he has to. But Dallas always just knows the code. Yeah, yeah, he knows. The, try, uh, try Spring 50. Really? Oh, look at that. There you go. Patreon.com slash iFanboy. If you give $5 or higher, you get your superpower live on the show like Chris, Steve, and Jackie, and Dallas. Thanks for being patrons. Two emails I was excited to do. We aren't doing them. Yeah, we're doing that first one next time. Contact at iFanboy.com is where you can write us in to be on the show. And we, we love to do the email. It's honestly our favorite part of the show. Mm-hmm. We just can't shut our yappy mouths. Maybe we should do the email after the pick of the week. <laughs> Maybe we should just cut one book out of the show. Oh, there was good book, but there was no books this week that I didn't want to talk about. It's true. Pay where we are. All right, so contact at fanboy.com. Also, if you want to write in for the Media Explode show, just put Media Explode into the subject line so we know what show it's meant for. And we have other shows. Just behind the show on the feed, you got the special edition review of The Suicide Squad, in which me and Paul Montgomery and Ryan Haupt and Mike Romo talked about The Suicide Squad. Josh died in the initial mission. We swapped him out for Ryan Haupt, and that's how that works with The Suicide <laughs> Squad. Nathan Filling over here. Not a very popular review, but these things happen. These things happen. And then coming up, we have Batman the Long Halloween Part 2 will be coming out at some point this month. We have Booksplode on True Believer, The Rise and Fall of Stan Lee by Adrian Reisman, which we just recorded. So that's definitely coming out this month. And we have this month's Media Explode. We're going to do a new segment called Classic Film Review. We're letting you know now so you can watch it as well if you want to play along. And we're, the first film that we're going to do for Classic Film Review is American Graffiti, the George Lucas classic. What I'm going to tell you right now is, I want you to think about this, Walter Murch sound design. 
carry on. American Graffiti is available at several streamers for rent. I think it's Amazon and Apple. If you want, to, if you don't own it or you don't know where to see it, that's where you can do it. But we're going to be talking about that at the end of the month for classic film review. We've been talking about this segment internally for months. We just haven't had the chance to do it yet. And we're very excited. Uh, yeah, talk about it. I'm still working on it. I got a good bite this week. And then uh, what happens is they drop off the map. I have planned for the next one, by the way. So this You is might just go topic. right to the next one and then just make it up on the back end. Nope. That might be the easiest solution. What, you're going to have one? I think I did this before. It's like you got two within a week of each other. Yeah. And that's just how it has to be because I'm much more concerned with who I'm talking to and having it be a good conversation than I am about a date. And that's right. just how it is. And then, uh, as I mentioned last week, plug it again, uh, the app – that I've been working on in my day job it came out last week. Very proud of it. Check it out. DC colon Batman Bat Tech Edition. It's an app made for kids, but adults have been enjoying it and finding a lot of fun. It's an AR-based app that teaches kids about Batman's technology, but also features some fun AR missions and mini games and stickers and filters. And it's got an exclusive digital comic series in it. And you can watch videos related to Batman. It's all it's basically your home for Batman if you're a, a six to twelve year old or a 6 to 12-year-old at heart. So you can check that out on iOS or Android. But very proud of it. Worked on it over a year. What if you're a 75-year-old man at heart? How about that? <laughs> we all know that, Josh. Yeah. So if you want to check it out, I'd appreciate that. And if you have checked it out and wanted to leave a review or a star rating on iOS or Android, I'd also appreciate that as well. I'm going to fly through these next two parts. Yep. It's going to be crazy. So fast. Go to afanbar.com if you want to look at our... Bleh. No, apparently I can't. We're go to ifinbar.com if you want to find our vast history of comic book writing, all the shows, everything we've ever done over there. You can like facebook.com slash ifanboy. You can follow at ifanboy on Twitter or at ifanboycomics on Instagram to find out what the pick of the week is before the show comes out so you can be prepared. You can follow us on Instagram at C.S. Kilpatrick or J.A. Flanagan. There is our YouTube page at youtube.com slash ifanboy where we are uploading old video shows. And before you know it, we're going to be done with all the full-size shows and they'll just be minis upon yeah, minis. The full-size shows I think are going to be done in end of the year and then we'll have minis for a while after that so this week we got a mini want more hulk we have <laughs> jeff smith the creator of bone and razzle we didn't interview him for a long yeah. time did we we it did was two things it was you and ron talking about his books okay and then we did an interview and then you and ron talked about his books like it was like a wraparound like it was cool just so everyone knows the couch segment where you and ron is totally out of sync audio wise but the interview is not i don't know why and it's too late to figure it out and change it there you go. Here is an anthology, graphic novel reviews. It came from the storage unit in old ads. That was our very first anthology show in which right. we, for reasons of production and Ron's job not sending him to New York anymore, we've had to start doing stacked minis as long shows. Very, very polarizing in the community. But we mm -hmm. had to do it. We had no choice. It was either that or stop doing the show. No one seemed to understand that. They got angry every time we did it. Old ads is me. Old ads is you. <laughs> Yes. Yeah, love that. I believe it was an old issue of Thor that you were looking oh. at. Oh, yeah, I know exactly what the issue is. 386, once in future Thor. Maybe it was the Walt Simonson one. If you like the show, write a review or leave a star rating on Apple Podcasts or wherever else you get podcasts, Amazon, Audible, Spotify, all sorts of things like that. Better yet, tell your friends, anybody you know who might like it, who even even if you think they slightly might like it, you should just be like, hey, how about this? How about this stuff? And they'd be like, listen, I got to go. But help us <laughs> spread that word wherever you're doing it. And that's all. We got to go. We have to go. <laughs> this show went super long. We didn't even get to the emails. I'm really bummed, but there was a lot to talk about. Thanks for listening. My name is Connor. I'm Josh. Bye. <laughs> <laughs>